Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the November election edition. This week, we're explaining whether supporters of abortion access and recreational marijuana gathered enough signatures to make the ballot this November, what made it in to the state's massive two-year budget, and what Governor Mike DeWine vetoed. Joining me in studio this week is reporter Laura Bischoff. Hello, it's been a fire hose of news this week, even for a holiday week. I know. But before we get into that, I want to take a quick second and ask you to consider doing me a favor and leave us a review on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to OPE. So our first topic is abortion. Ohioans who want to protect access in the state constitution submitted more than 700,000 signatures on Wednesday to put the question before voters in November. That's about 300,000 more than they needed to qualify, but that's kind of necessary because a percentage of signatures are always invalidated by the Secretary of State's office for like a bunch of things. Like if you signed and put your current address, but your voter registration is your old address, then that's an invalid signature. Right. Or if they misread the spelling on your name and they're looking up, you know, Bishop instead of Bischoff, for example. Or if one of the things I've always found interesting in covering these is if, say, maybe you've developed Parkinson's and your signature has changed and they considered it an invalid or fake signature potentially. Like there's a whole host of reasons why they might question a valid signature. It always amazes me because, you know, you have all these people with the county boards of elections who are going through these signatures on these petitions and then matching them up against the signature cards on file. And it's just incredibly tedious and detailed work. And they turn it around. I think they have to have it done by what? July 20th? Yeah, it's a quick turnaround. And if it qualifies for the ballot, the amendment would ban lawmakers from directly or indirectly interfering with most abortions up until fetal viability, which ranges from about 21 to 24 weeks gestation. Abortion laws for those weeks would have to meet a standard of, quote, widely accepted and evidence-based standards of care. Abortions after viability could be limited, except in cases where the professional judgment of the pregnant patient's treating physician basically deems it necessary to protect life or health. So it's kind of what they would call the Rose Standard. Right. And this is, um, it's interesting because the opponents of this proposal are calling it very extreme because there are instances, which it sounds like it's going to be limited, in which after viability abortions could still happen under this proposal. Correct. And yeah, it's um, we're still in the waiting game. But I, if I had to be a betting person and bet, I think they got enough signatures to make the ballot. They have a pretty solid cushion. And it's my understanding they were doing some internal verification before they turned these in. Yeah, I think uh, Jesse Baumert, our colleague, she calculated they, they would need a 58% validity rate, which is kind of on the high side. But if they were doing um, their checks as they went, they might make it. Yeah, and 58, I mean, if you think about that, right, if one out of every two signatures that you collect is rejected, like, that's that's a high rejection rate for something like this. Oh, absolutely. Our second topic is recreational marijuana and whether legalizing it might also be on the November ballot. So supporters of recreational marijuana submitted signatures for the ballot this week, but they had a different threshold to meet. So they would change Ohio revised code, not the state constitution, So that process requires a lot less signatures. It requires just under 125,000 valid signatures, and they turned in about 222,000 signatures. Right. This uh, citizen-initiated statute is a two-step process. So this group had to submit 
125,000 valid signatures in the first round in order to then present their proposed state law to lawmakers. Lawmakers were given, what, like four months to to say yes, no, amend it and pass it or ignore it. They chose to ignore it. And then that uh, triggered this second step, which is to go out and get another 124,000 signatures from at least 44 counties. The tricky part about these uh, citizen-initiated statutes is that they call it the Ohio Revised Code because it's constantly under revision. And they could go through all of this, the voters could approve it, and then the lawmakers could then change the law that the voters just put into place. Now, some of the uh, advocates for the coalition to regulate marijuana like alcohol say, look, if, if we get it, this is going to be a voter mandate, and it's unlikely that the lawmakers would go against the will of the voters. They might but, not completely reverse it, but they could put a lot of guardrails on it that would make it hard to access. Right. I mean, as it is, this measure would allow Ohioans age 21 and older to buy and possess up to two and a half ounces of cannabis 15 grams of concentrate, and they could grow six plants um, at home uh, or no more than 12 plants if they live in a house with multiple adults. Yeah. And, you know, this one, I am not 100% sure. I'm not going to bet one way or the other on whether it's going to make the ballot. I think their margin of error is smaller, but we will we will find out July 20th. Yeah, there's, you know, Ohio and 37 other states already have medical marijuana, and almost half of the states across the country 23 states right now have recreational marijuana, including Michigan, which approved it in 2018. Yeah, I definitely think we're trending towards an eventual federal acknowledgement of both medical and recreational, but I couldn't predict when that'll happen. But there are some, uh, you know, key leaders in Ohio, namely Governor Mike DeWine and Senate President Matt Huffman, who are absolutely positively 100% opposed to recreational marijuana. Oh, yeah. And that is definitely why it has not moved in Ohio through the legislature. Yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting to see what happens if it makes the ballot and then it passes to kind of see how the legislature handles that particular mandate from voters. You know, I would say that back in 2015, when we had the Responsible Ohio proposal, which was, um, you know, let's have recreational and medical marijuana. And there were some structural problems with that proposal and the voters did not like it, rejected it. But it did prompt the legislature to move forward on on medical marijuana. And I think that they liked the idea of being able to put up those guardrails that they felt were really important. Our third and our fourth topics are the state budget. So Ohio's massive two-year budget became law this week, and it created significant changes for things like K-12 through education, income taxes, nursing homes, state workers. I mean, there was just a lot. This document was almost 6,200 pages. I did the math. That's about 25 traditionally published novels. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of paper. It does not read like a novel. It would be like the worst <laughs> novel in the history of It is of not a narrative. There is no arc. No. But it does create a lot of change, which, you know, novels are about. So it specifically is going to change who runs the Ohio Department of Education, create universal eligibility for school vouchers, um, you know, grants for low-income housing, savings accounts for first-time home buyers, reimbursement rates for Medicaid providers are going up, but Medicaid overall is getting a reduction in funding. Even access to social media for minors. Yeah. Watch out, TikTok. Yeah, that's one of the interesting ones because like a lot of policy often ends up in the budget that has like nothing to do with like where the money is going. And the social media policies are interesting. So like state workers won't be able to use TikTok or other Chinese apps on their devices. So like government laptops, government internet access, government phones. But all minors under the age of 16 starting in January will have to get parental consent 
before creating new social media accounts. And the onus is on the social media companies to do this age verification. Yeah, good luck with that. Oh, I mean, there's like, it's cascading across the state, this particular parental consent access for social media. So it does sound like some of these companies are recognizing this and maybe like moving towards a push for some sort of federal regulation. So it's at least uniform and possibly less restrictive than some states have passed. Now, the budget made a bunch of changes to tax policy, right? Like yeah. income tax policy, you're going to get a tax cut. They're going to flatten the number of uh, brackets down from three to two. Yes. And that will obviously, like the biggest amounts of those cuts, uh, in just in terms of raw numbers, will go to the people who earn the most by flattening that top income tax bracket. But yeah, if you earn $26,000-ish, um, it's $26,050. You don't pay income taxes. And then from there to $100,000 of income, you'll have one bracket. And then everybody above $100,000 will have one bracket. And it, yeah, so it'll tap out at 3.5%. Yeah. We're also getting a sales tax holiday next August, August 2024. Most items under 500 bucks will be tax-free. Does not apply to alcohol or tobacco. Correct. Which isn't a surprise given, you know, the governor's position on tobacco. Oh, they also um, they eliminated the diaper tax. They're yes. gonna you, you will not have to pay sales taxes on diapers, car seats, cribs, strollers, and other I know, baby items. Right as I'm like completely out of the baby stage, I'm like, gee, other families will benefit. <laughs> yeah, and you know, there's some major, major. I cover public education and. We're getting a total restructuring of the Ohio Department of Education. I will no longer be going to most state board of education meetings because all of their responsibilities have been moved into a new cabinet position. DeWine says he's going to appoint the new leader uh, soon. That's going to change. You know, we're also going to see changes in the way kids learn to read. It's going to be a real focus on phonics. They're going to eliminate other kinds of reading programs, retrain teachers, provide new like materials. It's just like, I always say there's like, I mean, the, there's so much in this budget that, like we couldn't talk about it all. It's chock full and it does it makes um it makes other changes like if you are a new teacher your base salary is going to increase from 30 to 35,000 across the state like yeah. so that's um that impacts good impacts, news for new teachers. Yeah, it impacts uh, more rural uh teachers more like starting salaries in central Ohio are almost universally above 35k for new teachers so I think that has more of an impact for like smaller like rural schools. Right. And then it has a bunch of stuff for social services like um, nursing homes, oversight of nursing homes is going to be improved. And um, they have a plan to fully fund uh, 988, which is the the new suicide and crisis hotline. Yeah. If you don't know about that, you can dial 988 in Ohio if you're experiencing a mental health crisis or maybe someone you love is. And it's kind of like 911, but for these specific issues. Right. It'll connect you immediately to a counselor. But not every idea proposed by the House, Senate, and Governor survived negotiations. So I thought we should also talk about some of those proposals that didn't make the final cut, which included something that I got a ton of emails on, Jesse got a ton of emails on, which was requiring state employees to work four days in office per week. That was axed from the final budget. We also cut sweeping changes for Ohio's public colleges and universities. Um, there were going to be some much greater restrictions on food stamp benefits and how those were going to be overseen. That got cut. There was also a cut on a ban on local governments regulating tobacco products. Yeah, they also had a, um, there was a provision that the lawmakers wanted that would um, allow college students to 
avoid vaccines, um, and that um, that got vetoed. The governor vetoed. He issued about forty-four vetoes. Yeah, a lot of those were technical vetoes. So they like they um, did actually a veto on some of the tax stuff. So like the sales tax holiday that we were talking about, the lawmakers said seven hundred and fifty million dollars was what can be spent, like what we can give away in no sales tax. But they also set a limit of two weeks. And the governor was like, look, what if we blow through $750 million in two days? What if this is like wildly popular? Like we could then be legally committed for like two billion or who knows how million. So he cut the two weeks, but kept the sales tax holiday. So that's kind of like a technical amendment. But this vaccine one, he was straight up. He was like, look, if you followed me through COVID, you know my position on vaccination. And the uh, change would have banned universities from denying dorming to students who choose not to vaccinate. Right. And of course, you know, dorms are uh, congregate um, living situations. It's easy for, you know, viruses and bacteria to spread pretty quickly. Yeah. And that's what, um, so uh, Beth Liston, who's a doctor, she's actually a pediatrician. She's a Democrat. She really opposed this saying that like, you know, meningitis vaccinations are incredibly important for college students and that she um, worried about possibly increases in meningitis on these campuses if they couldn't block students. So not even like COVID-19 vaccinations. There's just other vaccinations that you're required to dorm. Absolutely. And one more thing before you go. Frank LaRose posted a not-so-subtle tweet on the 4th of July about his upcoming entrance into the race for U.S. Senate. He shared a photo of federal paperwork that Senate campaigns filed to form new candidate committees. And the form was dated July 15th, which is the filing deadline for federal candidates to file their campaign finance reports for the second quarter of 2023. So it looks like, I mean, it was a very, like look what I'm doing, guys. I'm clearly running for U.S. Senate. There was a lot of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. So we assume, right, he's, I think, you know, Haley, who covers this for us, like, there's an assumption that probably within the next week or two, we're going to hear an official announcement. Stay tuned. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at beaconjournal.com.